Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Assalamu alaikum, everyone. What you're about to hear is part of a class that I just taught, uh, The World of Angels, and it's the very interesting and mysterious story of Harut and Marut. And it was so interesting, I felt like this actually could be a podcast, uh, an episode that everyone would want to listen to. So I decided to, to put it in here, put it up here as a podcast. Now, this is part of the latest program that we've had. We've had it for a while, but we've recently uh, improved it. We've revamped it completely. Uh, the program is called ArcView. It's our online uh, educational division. Uh, it's, you can find all the information at arcview.org. And what we've done is that we've added a live component. So, so I now teach live four days a week, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, all different books. And the way I teach it is that they're books that you can get at home too. So you could listen to the lectures, you can read the book, you can also become a trend, you can, tra- you can teach it. In other words, these aren't technical sciences, not all of them are technical sciences. So you could actually you know, have a halakha with your family, have a halakha uh, with your friends uh, based on the live stream. So if you miss the live stream, then you can of course get the recording. So the way ArcView works is that it's centered around a Google Classroom and a an archive. I guess an archive would be the best word for it. Once you sign up for ArcView, you get onto a Google Classroom where that's basically our hub. All the announcements are through an ArcView Google Classroom. Okay. Then everything that was recorded in the past, you have access to that too through myarcview.org, right? which is where you'll register as well. So we've got Virtues of seclusion, remembrance of God, uh, uh, short, tafsir of the short surahs, tafsir of surah al-kaf. We've got the circumstances of revelation, uh, world of angels, summarized ihya ulum al-din, manifestations of the unseen. So all this, all these classes are going on. Then there's ArcView Plus, which is in addition to ArcView, it's the technical sciences that we cover and that's the more serious class it's a three-hour block uh, that that is sunday and that you'll see that under arcview plus so again it's arcview.org and this here story is harut and marut so let's take a listen وأنت لم تزل ذلك أهلا يا ميسر كل عسير ويا جابر كل كسير ويا صاحب كل فريد ويا مغني كل فقير ويا مقوي كل ضعيف ويا مأمن كل مخيف يسر علينا كل عسير فتيسير العسير عليك يسير اللهم يا من لا يحتاج إلى البيان والتفسير حاجاتنا كثير وأنت عالم بها وخبير اللهم إني أخ أخاف منك وأخاف مما يخاف منك وأخاف ممن لا يخاف منك اللهم بحق ما يخاف منك نجنا ممن لا يخاف منك اللهم بحق محمد نحرسنا بعينك التي لا تنام وكنفنا بكنفك الذي لا يرام ورحمنا بقدرتك علينا فلا نهلك وأنت ثقتنا ورجاؤنا صلى الله على سيدنا محمد وآله وصحبه وسلم الحمد لله رب العالمين عدد خلقه ورضى نفسه وزنة عرشه ومداد كلماته 
اللهم إنا نسألك زيادة في الدين وبركة في العمر وصحة في الجسد وسعة في الرزق وتوبة قبل الموت وشهادة عند الموت ومغفرة بعد الموت وعفوا عند الحساب وأمان من العذاب ونصيب من الجنة وارزقنا النظر إلى وجهك الكريم صلى الله على سيدنا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه وسلم سبحان ربك رب العزة عما يصفون وسلام على المرسلين والحمد لله رب العالمين في كل لحظة أبدع خلقه ورضا نفسه وزنة عرشه وميداد كلماته الحمد لله والصلاة والسلام على رسول الله وعلى آله وصحبه ومن ولا You can find this dua that we're reading from You can find it in the um, Google Classroom now under a thread now called dua If you notice I'm cleaning up the threads constantly so that it's not just all a cluster of threads So today's thread will have the link and tomorrow that link will be tucked into the World of Angels thread and it will be deleted, right? So there will always be a today's link with the relevant link then there's for each class there's a link and then there's a separate one for dua little things that are uh, that I'm adding every now and then to the uh, to the thing so that uh, you know we can learn these dua study them know them etc all right so today we're looking at a very 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 interesting subject called the story of Harut and Marut there are some Jewish sources which contain the story of Harut and Marut Asuyuti reports in Ad-Durr al-Mantur, okay, commenting on the words of Allah in Surah Al-Baqarah. وَمَا أُنزِلَ عَلَى الْمَلَكَيْنِ بِبَابِلَ هَارُوتَ وَمَارُوتَ right, That which was sent down upon the two angels, Al-Malakayn, Harut, uh, in Babel, which is Babylon, Harut and Marut. These are the two names of the two angels, and they were in Babylon, and they received something. Okay. There are many transmissions and extraordinary stories from Ibn Umar, from Ibn Mas'ud, from Sayyidina Ali, from Ibn Abbas, from Mujahid, from Ka'b, from Ar-Rabi'ah, from As-Sudi. Okay. Ibn Jarir al-Tabari relates them in his tafsir, right, as do Ibn Mardawai, al-Hakim, Ibn Mandur, Ibn Abi Dunya, al-Bayhaqi, al-Khatib al-Baghdadi, in their tafsir books. Al-Khatib al-Baghdadi, by the way, keep that name in your head. Alright, Al-Khatib al-Baghdadi is so important, you don't even believe how important he is to Hadith. Al-Khatib al-Baghdadi has, he has authorship on literally every subtopic of Hadith. Okay, Every subtopic he has commentary. We rely so much on Al-Khatib al-Baghdadi, it's unbelievable. Okay, He also has something called Tariq Baghdad, the history of Baghdad. And the Ahnaf are really don't like it because he was a hardcore uh, Shafi'i scholar. Now the Hanafis and Madikis never really had much of dispute because you can't dispute the Madikis of Medina, right? Uh, because they're both early on, their peers. The Ahnaf had a very rigorous usul. Uh, they, but they, and they differed with the Madikis, but it, the difference was amicable because they're almost peers. These two schools of thought came up at the same time. The Sahaba that went to Kufa, the Sahaba that stayed in Medina, and their followers. It's the Hanafis had a big issue with the Shafi'i scholars, okay, the Shafi'i and the, both the Madikis and Hanafis both took issue with what the Shafi'i scholars, the trajectory they went in, okay, so they abandoned sort of the of the precedent that the Hanafis and Madikis were relied upon, and they said only uh, any any hadith, any Sahih hadith, okay, no, we don't we don't look at the hadith relative to 
this is the precedent of the first two or three generations. Okay, so Khatib al-Baghdadi, he goes, he's a Shafi. He goes in hard on Abu Hanifa, right? And the Hanafi methodology, he goes in hard on them. So they uh, they take issue with that, and the Ahnaf oftentimes don't like Khatib al-Baghdadi. Okay, for this reason, they don't like his book Tariq Baghdad. The basic picture gained from these accounts is that when people among the descendants of Adam السلام, fell into acts of disobedience and disbelief in Allah, the angels in the heaven said, O oh Lord, you created this world for people to worship you and obey you, and now they have committed acts of disobedience and rebellion. And they kill, they take lives, which they have no right to take. They consume property unlawfully. They steal, they do zina, and they drink khamr. They began to curse them and did not find any excuse for them. It was said to them, they are unaware, but they still did not excuse them. Okay. One of the transmissions says that Allah said to them, now you have to listen, listen carefully, because oftentimes these scholars, they relate the hadith, then they'll give you the conclusion afterwards. Okay, they're not give you the conclusion right away. One of the transmissions says that Allah said to them, if you had been in their place, you would have done the same thing. They said, glory be to you, that would not be something we would ever do. Another transmission said, they said no. It was said to them, choose two angels amongst yourselves whom I will command and forbid to disobey me. I'll command them with things to do and I'll forbid them and I'll give them free will, temporary free will. So then what happened next? They chose Harut and Marut, who went down to the earth, and appetites were created in them. They were commanded to worship Allah and not associate anything with Him. And they were forbidden to take life without legal right to do so, to consume unlawful property, to steal, to commit zina, and to drink wine. They remained in that way on the earth for a considerable time, judging people by the truth. During that time, there was a woman whose beauty among people was like that of Venus among the stars. Wow. The two angels tried to seduce her, but she refused unless they would submit to her authority and her religion. They asked, what is your deen? And she produced an idol. She said, they said we cannot worship this. And they left and worshiped Allah as as he wished. Then they came to her again and spoke humbly to her and tried once more to seduce her. Again, she refused unless they took on her religion and worshipped the idol which she worshipped. They refused. And when she saw that they refused to worship her idol, she said to them, choose one of three things. Either worship this idol, kill someone, or drink wine. I guess this is, is this a proposal of marriage? What do they mean by seducing? Here, is this a, I don't know if this is a proposal of marriage or what. We'll see. Okay, uh, they said none of this is good, but the least of these three is to drink wine. Right? So if you drink wine alone in a room, you drink wine, you get drunk, you wake up the next day, khalas, nothing happens. So she gave them wine, gave them khamr to drink until they were completely intoxicated. A man passed by while they were doing this. And they were afraid that he would rat them out, give them away. So they took this man and they killed him. When the state of intoxication left them, they realized what a terrible mistake they had made and tried to ascend back up to heaven, but they were unable to do so. Then the veil between them and the inhabitants of the heavens was removed. The angels looked at the wrong actions they had done 
and realized that those who are unaware are lacking in fear. After they began to ask forgiveness from the people of the earth, after that they began to ask forgiveness from the people of the earth, namely that for judging you and for thinking low of you. Okay, so that they, uh, why do people do wrong things? Because at that moment they lack fear of Allah, right? So a sinner, he thinks to himself, I, I believe 100% that Allah is watching me. Then why am I doing this, right? Why am I committing these ma'asi? Simple answer, because at this moment, you're lacking in your fear of Allah Ta'ala. And this is the big debut, dis, de, de, debate that does Iman increase or decrease? Okay, so the Hanafis have a comment that Iman doesn't decrease and increase. It's one thing, but it's awareness that increases and decreases. Makes sense? The other opinion is that no, Iman increases and decreases, and Iman is awareness. So they likened Iman to awareness. So by being uh, aware that Allah is watching versus being heedless. Okay, so a sinner when he commits sins, he is heedless. All right, the solution to committing sins is to not be in a situation where you could be heedless. Okay? So, after they had committed this error, the two angels were told to choose between the punishment of this world and the punishment of the next. They said the punishment of this world comes to an end, whereas the punishment of the next world lasts forever. So they chose the punishment of this world, and they were sent to Babel, where they were punished by being suspended upside down by their feet. In one transmission, it says that they taught the woman the word by which she could ascend to heaven and she ascended and Allah transformed her and she became the star known as Venus. Wow, look at this. This is, we're getting like, I mean, it's um, Marvel comics at this point. Let's see. I mean, I'm, I'm sure at the end of this, this at the end of this, he's going to give his commentary. Right. All, okay, right now he gives his commentary. All this is part of the myths and lies of the Bani Israel and is not corroborated by neither intellect, nor transmission, nor sharia. Okay? So all of this uh, that we just said is not true. This is a story told by Bani Israel. Okay? It's not true. Right? Some of the transmissions of this false fiction even go so far as to ascribe its transmission to some sahaba and tabi'een, but in doing so they enter the arena of sin and shameful crime, and at the same time connect this lie to the Prophet wasallam by taking it back to him, by attributing the story to the Prophet okay. Imam Abu al-Faraj ibn al-Jawzi gave a judgment about this, okay, about this story, and al-Shihab al-Iraqi writes that anyone who believes this Harut and Marut were two angels who are being punished for their sins has disbelieved in Allah Almighty because this is the whole nature of angels is the, the opposite. So you can't, you're believing two opposite things here. Qadi Ayyad said in his Shifa, what is said in the reports and commentaries about the story of Harut and Marut does not relate anything, either sounds or weak, from the Messenger of Allah. So the Prophet has no commentary on the subject. Okay. And there's nothing which is taken by analogy. You can't make analogies, right, when it comes to stories of the Akhirah. Okay. A similar judgment was made by Ibn Kathir in respect of tracing the material in this story back to the Prophet. Okay. In terms of that, there's, there's nothing from the Prophet about this topic. As for what does not go back to the Prophet, it is clear that it originates from Jewish material taken from Kab and others. So they told the story. I mean, it's telling stories, but the Sahaba were separating good from bad. Just because they may, it might be transmitted at around that time does not necessitate that it's something that they believed was true. So not all transmissions, not all transmitters of things are going to tell you at the end that it's true. So people don't just transmit what they believe is true. So why whenever you see a, a, a citation from Imam al-Tabari, 
Tabari is known for being encyclopedic. Okay, he, he puts everything in there. Okay, and then at the end, he tells you, this is true, this is differed upon, this is completely false. So when you get a citation from Tabari, don't just take it and run. Okay, that different hadith scholars had different criterion. I'm going to give you three. One at one extreme, he's an encyclopedia. I'll give you all the transmissions, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And he gives his commentary at the end. So when someone says, oh, this is in Tabari, okay, that's great, but what did Tabari say about it? He may have said it's a nonsense transmission. Okay, so that's one thing. Now let's go to someone who's in the middle. Okay, Imam Ahmad ibn Hanbal in his Musnad. Imam Ahmad has a lot of hadiths. Okay, but what his son himself said, Oh, my father, you, you relate this hadith in your Musnad, but your, jurist, your juristic ruling, your hukum, is the opposite. So why is this? He says, In my book, I don't only put the hadiths that are my opinion, that agree with my opinion on things. I put any hadith that a reputable scholar used as evidence. So what Imam Ahmad is saying is that this Musnad, which is 40,000 hadiths, okay, is not everything that's my opinion. Right? It's everything that is a valid opinion, that is used by reliable scholars. Right? So that's very different from Tabari, who includes the good, bad, and the ugly in his tafsir of the Qur'an, which is mainly by hadith. Right? He puts all the good, bad, and ugly, and at the end of the section he tells you, this is right, this is wrong. And uh, this is my opinion, okay, that this is the strongest. So Imam Ahmad, he's in the middle, where he gives you everything that a reputable scholar said. So if you took that hadith and you ran with it from Imam Ahmad at that point, you, you know that there is someone who is reputable who took it. Now at the opposite end of At-Tabari is Imam Malik. In his Muatta, Imam Malik has intentionally not released many hadiths which he deemed that the people would confuse the people. Right? He just didn't release those hadiths. He knows, he knows how to, and he died with six trunks, like six big containers, filled with scrolls of ahadith, which were sound that he believed that was better not to release them because it would cause a confusion. All right? So these are three different ways, and you have to be a little bit more sophisticated now. All right? In, when you read a hadith, when you look at the sourcing of a hadith, don't just see, oh, I've seen that name. Tabari, that's a good name. We know he's a good source. He's quoted all the time by the scholars. Don't just take that and run. You have to understand what was Tabari doing in writing this hadith. Okay. Likewise, when people say it's a Sahih hadith, but it's not in Bukhari. Why not? It's not Sahih. Sayyidina al-Imam al-Bukhari was giving you a summary of around 2,000 hadiths that a Muslim can live his life by. Okay. The summary of the Sunnah using Sahih hadiths. So he summarized. So he so uh, a hadith not being in Bukhari or Muslim is not a ruling. It's not a dis, uh, a discredit to the hadith at all. So all this is important, and inshallah, part of the Awaidim scholarship track, we always study ilm al hadith around once every five years. We do that whole course, all right, on ilm al hadith, so that people can become sophisticated in their understanding of hadith, so that people don't you know um, have a type of um, naive approach. Right, it's like uh, if you're buying a home for yourself, you don't just go and look at the nicest looking home and just buy it. No, you have to be sophisticated, right? It, what are the what's the payment for this home? What do the taxes look like, etc., cetera, etc.? Cetera. All right. So, in this way, uh, we hope, inshallah, that we can become more sophisticated in our literacy of the deen. All right. All right. Next topic here. He says, "It is the heretics." of the people of the book 
who connected them to Islam. Okay? Thus, accurate commentators who are skillful and recognizes the sources, recognizing the sources of the deen refute them. So it, it is the, 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 the alam or the, the leaders in hadith who are able to track back narrations and see where did this narration come from. Okay? Like an investigator or investigative journalist or a historian. All right? Like, for example, Napoleon was a very short man, right? Well, where did the, that come from? Historians go back and they say that it started in British propaganda, right? That he was average. There's nothing like that. They needed to discredit him somehow, so they called him like a crazy little maniac, okay? So you have to go back to the source and realize this is complete fiction. And that's exactly what uh, our men of hadith have done. And Imam Ahmed ibn Hanbal said, if... If the scholars of hadith are not the awliya of Allah, then who then then there are no awliya. Okay, because these are the people who separate from us what the Prophet actually said, or what the Sahaba considered to be true, and what is false. And therefore we don't take on ridiculous beliefs. And life in America makes us realize this because if you have ridiculous beliefs and you're in a modern time, you have people doubting and questioning and and asking now, is this really our deen? Right? This is what we believe? It's like ridiculous. Okay, so uh, when we have these things, if it goes back to Allah and His Messenger, then we'll discuss it. If it doesn't, then there's no bother. There's no point in even worrying. All right. So that's the that's the the importance of knowing Hadith. And I said in before, and I have in, in in videos that a person should not, as an amateur, go into studying reading Hadiths by yourself. You should read what the little booklets that the ulama compiled that talk about the Hadiths that are. Uh, in a sense, cannot be misunderstood. Usually the hadiths that relate to akhlaq, character, okay, descriptions of heaven and hell, things like this. <clears throat> so he says here, their intellects refuse to accept these myths as do those of others such as Imam al-Razi, Abu Hayyan al-Tawheedi, Abu Su'ud al-Alusi, and others. So, Many times, scholars of hadith, they had intellects like us. Many times people think that they were just, uh, whatever they heard, they just accepted. No, there was content criticism or discussion on this subject, okay? So, the ulama did, if a hadith didn't sit right with them and they found no, no uh, root for it in the Qur'an or in other hadith. So, you can have a statement... But it has a root in the Qur'an. So any statement about, for example, Allah's generosity, well, we know Allah's generous from the Qur'an. Okay, so it has some roots in the Qur'an and the hadith will give some details. But when you have something so far off and it has no basis, no, no, nothing similar that it can be founded in in the Qur'an, the ulama then, the muhaddithin went and they delved into it. And they looked into it uh, and scrutinized it to see was this in fact from the Prophet or not. Okay. And sometimes there is one narration, which we call Hadith Ahad, that is only roots back to one person. And it's a sort of strange, and it's hard for a Muslim to believe. So some of the ulama, they took two different opinions on this. The Hanafis and the Madikis said that if it's a matter of belief, then it's not a binding belief if it's only coming from one narration. You can't call them liars, right? But it wouldn't be binding. If a Muslim said, okay, I accept this, but I'm not... Adding commentary, I'm not taking on as a doctrine. There's no blame on them. The Shafi'iyah said he's an innovator and a fasiq because if you're certain that it came from the Prophet, you must believe it. Okay, so different takes on the question of aqidah and the ahad hadith. 
Okay. Furthermore, even from a rational point of view, these transmissions are unsound. The angels are protected from all wrong action, let alone though these things which would not even issue from an evil human being. Allah informs us that the angels do not disobey Allah in anything. He commands them and they do everything they are commanded to do. So how exactly are they going to drink khamr, kill and do zina, etc., etc.? Are they no longer angels? So they transformed into human beings? I mean, what is going on here? So that's Quran. Now you're bringing some hadith that's far off that has no senate from the Prophet contradicting or giving an exception to the Quran. Well, not accepted. It's not accepted. You cannot come and bring a far-off narration that is not from the Prophet to give an exception to the Quran. You cannot bring me something from the Torah, from the Injil, even if it was like from their most preserved sources, or from the stories of the Jews that would give us an exception to a Quranic rule. We won't accept this. Okay, Even in fiqh, in fiqh, the Hanafis and Malikis have a different take than the Shafis and Hanbalis. If a solitary ahad hadith in fiqh brings an exception to a Quranic mandate and commandment, they still don't accept it. Okay, They couch it into some other way that it would work, but they don't use it. The best example being the Prophet there is a solitary hadith that the Prophet said, if Eid comes on a Jummah, you have the choice to pray Jummah or not. Okay, But the Hanafis and Malikis don't they don't use that because there is a stronger evidence, which is that all the Sahaba and Tabi'in pray Jummah. Okay. So they don't use it. So these issues are uh, um, uh, have been discussed when it when it's from the Prophet himself, let alone from a uh, non prophetic hadith. In other words, hadith that's not Musnad or Marfu'a, sorry. And the word Marfu'a, you should write it in your notes. The word Marfu'a means that the speaker in the hadith is the Prophet. This is the uh, uh, meaning of the word Marfu'a. You should memorize that. I'm not going to give you any other term, but just memorize that word Marfu'a means it, the speaker of the hadith is the Prophet or the one acting in the hadith. Because sometimes some hadith is not the Prophet's words, it's his actions. Another of these transmissions. Another of these transmissions. Has Allah saying to them, If I tested you in the same way I tested the tribe of Adam, you would also disobey me. They said, If you were to do that, O Lord, we would certainly not disobey you. To refute the words of Allah, right, constitutes disbelief. You know, disagreeing with Allah. So they, they said, no, we, were, we wouldn't disobey you. I mean, Allah just made you a statement. He's not making you a suggestion. And they're saying, no, we wouldn't disobey you. I mean, if a human did that, let alone an angel. Any human being who possesses knowledge of Allah and his attributes is free of that, let alone the angels. And how could a corrupt woman... She's a corrupt woman. She, this woman in this story, she's an idol worshiper, number one. She... Gets them to drink alcohol, number two. And she was willing to commit zina with them, number three. And on top of this, they say that she, with by merely uttering a few words, ascends to the, elevate, uh, to, to the heavens, okay? And becomes a star and transforms. So what is this? I'm telling you, this is why I said it's Marvel Comics. This story is Marvel Comics because you have angels that transform into humans. You have now a corrupt, idol-worshipping, semi... I don't know if she's a prostitute or what. She's about to do zina with these people. Okay. 
And then by merely uttering a few words, that's wonderful. That's all I have to do is utter a few words. She goes up to the heavens. But she doesn't just become go up to the heavens. She becomes a star. I'm telling you. What is that star which they claim to be Venus at the same time a woman? So, I mean, she would have... It's nice to tell stories, right? You want to watch movies? Watch movies. But don't make it... Once you make it your dean, you become laughable. Okay? She would have had to have been transformed on the day Allah created the heavens and the earth because that star has been around. These myths are not corroborated either by sound transmission or sound reason. Anyone with an intellect... And I'm telling you, uh, if you look at these stories... We have in the Quran things that are uh, that Allah does, right? We have this. Once it's rooted, then we accept it. We take it, all right. But when your whole religion is these myths and nonsense, anyone with a brain is going to be like, "This is not accepted," all right. My concern in this book is not only to do to completely destroy and nullify. Uh, I like this aggressiveness. These Hebrew tales and myths, Isra'iliyat, which are called, which, by the way, they are permitted to be transmitted. We can talk about them if the story is reasonable. But also to explain these words, which have been twisted from their correct meaning in a sound and scientific way, corroborated by sound transmission and sound reason, and also the foregoing and subsequent passages, so that the reader will be increased in certainty. Okay? Allah says, They follow what the shaitans recited during the reign of Sulaiman. Sulaiman did not reject, but the shaitans did reject and taught people sorcery. Okay? And what had been sent down to the two angels in Babylon, Harut and Marut, they taught no one until they had told him, We are merely a trial and a temptation. So do not become a kafir. From the two of them, people learn how to separate a man from his wife. Sihr, basically, black magic. They do not harm anyone by it, except with the permission of Allah. There's something very important whenever free will comes into your mind. Very simple formula. We possess free will. Right? That's why we are responsible. However, our free will is not absolute. Only Allah's will is absolute. Guys, it's very, very simple. From the two, two of them, people learned how to separate a man from his wife. They do not harm anyone except the permission of Allah. They have learned what will harm them and what will bring them no benefit. They know that anyone who deals in it will have no share in the next world. How evil the thing for which they have sold themselves if they only knew. There is nothing in this, these, this noble ayah which gives any indication whatsoever of this disreputable story which was mentioned above. That was not the reason for the sending down of the ayat. All right? The reason was that the shaitans in that distant time used to eavesdrop in on the heavens, then add lies to what they had heard, which would then pass on to soothsayers and to certain rabbis of the Jews. They, in turn, would record fabrications in the books they read and taught to other people. Okay, So the idea of oracles, of wizards, of all these types of soothsayers, if you notice, they're not here anymore, right? They're out of business. The reason is, that the shayateen of jinn, they used to be able to go up to the heavens, eavesdrop on the future, come back down. But they would mix. They wouldn't sell their product in full. Like a drug dealer only sells, you know, he takes his product, he's got this great product, he mixes some stuff with it and sells it to the people. They're not going to sell it all. So he, they used to mix truth and falsehood with it 
and put these soothsayers in business, but ultimately by, by communicating with them, okay? But at the same time, what is the goal of the shayateen? It's not to benefit human beings, it's to harm them. The shayateen are enemies to human beings. So they come with some good information and some bad intel. Now, if you give some people in the military good intel, they're going to come back to you, right? They trust you. Now give them some bad intel, they'll destroy themselves, so they'll get killed, right? So the plan of the shayateen of jinn was to, to hear the, what's going to happen in the future and then mix it, truth and falsehood, and tell the soothsayers or the miracle men or these uh, whatever medicine men, wizards, whatever you want to call it. Every culture used to have this, all right? The Greeks used to have it. The Native Americans used to have it. The Arabs used to have it. The Indians used to have it. Every, the, every culture had these types of people. They live off on the side, right? They're a bit weird, and they communicate with the Shayatin al-Jinn, and people go to them to know the future, okay? Uh, and ultimately, the more you follow them, the benefit that you get is to lead you lead you on, and ultimately it's to destroy you. Now, why, why are they out of business? Because Allah tells in Surah Al-Jinn, with the advent of the Prophet, peace be upon him, this door was closed. They are now being pelted, all right? That they're now being pelted, and the shayateen of jinn cannot go up and listen to the heavens anymore, all right? So they put are put, quote-unquote, out of business. And that's why these oracles and wizards, they have nothing to say anymore, Okay. They, they don't have any access to these shayateen. The shayateen don't have any intel. Okay, So uh, in this respect, that's our understanding of why those types of things existed in the past history. It's because they were getting that information from shayateen, and now the heavens are guarded and protected. All right. So now in the time of Sayyidina Suleiman, there was a lot of confusion between what is prophecy and what is from these shayateen al-jinn. He says... It happens in time of Suleiman to the point that the people said, this is the science of Suleiman and the kingdom of Suleiman was only made possible by it. It was by this means that he subjugated men and jinn and the wind that which ran to his command. This is one of the lies that the Jews told about the prophets, that he used jinn and shayateen and this whole idea of the genies, right? And, and the funny thing is Aladdin and the lamp and the jinn, this is actually Hebrew. It's not even Arab. These stories are not Arab stories. They're, they're Hebrew stories. This idea that in it, it's this, the stories about Sayyidina Suleiman is that it was Suleiman who used to punish uh, disobedient jinn by locking them into jars and containers and throwing them in the ocean. All right? These are stories that the, the Hebrews narrated about Prophet Suleiman. Allah, not, who, Allah knows if that's true or not. Okay? So we get put, Aladdin gets put on, uh, on Arabs. Okay? That this is their thing. But in fact, it's Hebrew. It's, it's, it's Jewish. These are Jewish stories. That's Sayyidina Suleiman used to do this. Okay? Allah accused these people of lying when he said Suleiman did not make kufr and do black magic. He didn't follow shayateen. But the shayateen did reject. They made kufr and taught people sorcery. Now, if you actually go into the story of uh, the, the biblical version of the story of Solomon, you actually get very uh, you know, upset. It's actually pretty upsetting what they say about the Prophet Suleiman. First of all, he's a wise son of David. He's a wise man. He's not a prophet. Right? That's the first thing. They don't attribute to him prophecy, uh, at least in the story that I saw. Secondly, he dies a pagan. He dies a kafir. So that's why the Quran says, وَمَا كَفَرَ سُلَيْمَانَ right? وَلَكِنَّ الشَّيَاطِينَ كَفَرُ يُعَلِّمُونَ النَّاسَ السِّحْرِ The shayateen were made kufr and they taught people magic. But, in their story, he's not a prophet and he dies a pagan. 
So it's really bad what they say about Sayyidina Sulaiman. He then adds to that, and what have been sent down to the two angels of, in Babylon, Harut and Marut, and what they say as their myths and legend goes, is that Sayyidina Sulaiman right, gathered this knowledge of the jinn, and he kept this black magic, and he kept it with him, okay, under his throne. And that it is, that's what the, this is like, we're getting fanciful here. What the Knights Templar were after, because they knew about this. When they came into Jerusalem, they took it, they formed the Illuminati, and boom, now the modern world comes, and they know the black magic now, and they're using it on people to brainwash people, and the Illuminati are in charge of everything. And, uh, yeah, you want to believe that, because it, like, it creates a nice story for the enemies. I mean, you have to just know that there's evidence for this is basically zero. Okay, so don't be silly and say this stuff in public and tell people that you believe in these things. Uh, you want to believe it because it's like a nice story. That's up to you, but it's not something that has no any real, you know, documentation. It's just stuff that we like to hear and say that the Illuminati they took the sihr of Suleiman, or the sihr that Suleiman had kept locked with him, and they use that to subjugate the world, right? Uh, I don't know if anything that the Muslims themselves, uh, by not doing their thing, uh, are the reason that they're subjugated, not because of anyone else. And by what had been sent down, he means the science of magic, which was sent down so that they could teach it to people and warn against it. The reason the two of them were sent down was to teach people what magic was so that they would know the difference between magic and prophethood. And therefore, that Sayyidina Sulaiman was not a magician. It was to ensure a complete understanding. Okay? So, uh, they, they taught this thing to teach people the difference, to know the difference between prophethood and magic, revelation and sihr. They did not, in any case, teach anyone magic until they had first cautioned him, saying, We are merely a temptation and a, fine, and a trial and a test, so do not become kuffar after this, by using this and teaching it. Okay, just we're telling you so that you know that it's like when you tell your son, listen, son, I need to tell you something. There exists something in the world called pornography. You have to avoid it. Okay, it's haram. Right? You want him to learn about this stuff from his friends in school, right? Or from the source that's going to give them guidance about it. Do you want your body to be exposed to like measles, mumps, and rubella on their own? Or do you want to give a vaccine yourself? Okay, to your kid. Do you want to. Uh, teach your kids what the curse words are that we're not supposed to say yourself or do you want them to just learn and feel that like I, I don't think my parents are clueless right they don't know any of these things no you want the actually the opposite you want to be the first one to inculcate this vaccine in people so that they know that oh okay yeah our sort my, my moral source here he knows everything that's going on nothing's going to fool him and I also know what's going on. So I, I've, when I see it, I'm not shocked. It doesn't enter my system. I'm not surprised. I'm not just tempted into it. I've been warned about it. Okay. I know about it. Okay. So, I mean, that's why you have sex ed, for example. Like you want him to learn from some pervert on the street or on the internet, or you want to teach the, your kid this stuff yourself. So likewise, when there's a kufr going around, you become obligated to inoculate people. You don't go to some idea that's dead, that's buried, that's uh, dormant, and revive it. That you shouldn't do. But if it's going around and you know it's going around, okay, then you must inoculate the people. Right? You, this is called 
the knowledge of Rad al-Shubuhat, refuting heresies. So if it's going around, we all have to be aware what's going on. Okay, The common Muslim today, which I don't believe that there should be any common Muslim. Everyone must be learned to a degree. All right. Part of the point of the teaching was to warn people against it and to teach them the difference between this and miracles. There's nothing wrong with this. Indeed, it is something desirable and meritorious if there is a real need for it. Now, by the way, today, in Sharia of Islam, everyone knows that sihr is haram. Everyone knows this. You can't, it's haram to study it because we all know it's haram. There's no confusion between sihr and Sharia and wahi. Okay, so uh, the ruling on black magic today, it's haram to even pick up a book on black magic because there's no need. No Muslim is going to be confused between revelation and black magic. So, uh, so this doesn't apply to us. You can't say, oh, okay, so, well, they Harut and Marut did that, so I'll go now and I'll learn and I'll teach them and I'll go and study Sihr uh, like them too. Okay. There was a man in Jordan who was very interested in, uh, you know, getting involved with jinn. So he had this little book, and they said that if you do these things, you'll actually, the veil between you and the world of jinn will rise up. So he did this, and it said you have to do it for 40 days. The first thing you have to do is you have to not expose yourself to any sunlight. So he locked himself in the basement and he told his wife, um, I need to do something for 40 days. I don't know what kind of wife is this, for 40 days. Go try to tell your wife you need to take the weekend off. See how that goes. All right. But this guy, he says, 40 days I need to be down here. Just slip the food under the door, but make sure no sunlight even comes in. All right. So, so that's what she did. Okay. And he went and he had these prayers, which are usually like, a, it's a prayer book that was, they altered the prayers in it. It had some, you know, shawada and stuff. Shawada is like mix up of, you know, shaitanic stuff. So uh, he goes and he starts doing this stuff. And uh, nothing happens. For days, nothing happens. On the 36th weeks, in the, in the fifth or sixth week, it was a day 36 of this thing, right? After six weeks of this had passed. Right? I mean, five weeks of this had passed. On the 36th day, the veil between him and the shayateen was lifted. Right? And he, what he saw were, were cre the creatures that he saw that were there with him in the room of the jinn they made him literally at the moment immediately go absolutely crazy he ran upstairs and ran through the streets and was just running 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 and literally needed to be placed into a mental asylum now the mashaykh came to him the scholars came to him basically like smacked him upside the head and gave him some awrad to say and it took him months before he regained his senses back right and he became a regular Muslim again but just to show you that you don't go into this world of sihr you don't go into the world of jinn you want to be uh, look at stories that are amazing talk about malaika talk about malaika malaika if you really want to do something amazing sit down and commit yourself to salah and the messenger peace be upon him for like uh, 50, 40 minutes Try that. I mean, veils will be lifted that are good for you, not veils that are bad for you. There's a veil, uh, and there are two veils. There's a world of the light and there's a world of darkness. There's a world of shayateen al-jinn and there's a world of angels. 
Which one do you want to be part of? I mean, why would you expose yourself to the darkness, right? Uh, expose yourself to the light. Go do a, sit down and commit yourself for that amount of time to Dila'il Khairat or finish the Quran cover to cover, then read Dila'il Khairat cover to cover, then start over and see what's going to happen. Amazing things will happen, right? Uh, the two things that will lift the veils for you, dhikr and sadaqah. Specifically, Salah on the Prophet and sadaqah. However, this is a long stream actually today, but this is an amazing subject. How, how far are we into this? I mean, we're 45 minutes already. It's okay. Sometimes it's short and sometimes it's long, but the subject matter is really good. Okay. He says, however, people did not take their advice. And they would use magic to separate a man from his wife. That was by the permission and will of Allah. The ayat indicates that it is permitted to teach people magic in order to warn people against succumbing to it and acting by it. And there is no sin in that. It is also permissible to teach and eliminate any resemblance between it and the true miracles and prophethood. And there is no sin in that. Okay. So, so now notice though. There's a qualification. The qualification here is when there's a fitna. If there's no fitna, then there's it's not allowed to do this. All right. This point is well illustrated by the saying, I learn evil not for its sake, but in order to be safe from it. And also people who do not recognize evil fall into it. You want your people to fall into evil? Then keep them ignorant about evil. They have to be aware of evil. The Messenger of Allah وسلم, came to the Jews. Okay? They knew that he was the Prophet. The good news of whom had been given in the Torah. And they used to pray for his help against the idol worshippers before he was born and sent. So, this in Surah Al Baqarah says that they used to make dua uh, by saying, When we get our messenger, the final last messenger, we're going to defeat you. They would talk to Aus and Khazraj like this. But then when he did come, they would not acknowledge him and rejected him. They cast their book, the Torah, and the book of Allah, the Quran, behind their backs. Allah indicates that they should follow the clear truth, but they prefer to follow the magic they had inherited from their fathers, and which the shayateen had taught them, even though it was obligatory for them to reject magic in their religion and caution people against its evils. That was what the two angels, Harut and Marut, did, warn people against the evils of their magic and against using it. This is the sound tafsir of the noble ayat, not what the stupid falsifiers claim. That's his word, not mine. Uh, through this understanding, harmony between the passages is obtained and the true value of the ayat is realized. And by the way, we have to do this for every story of the Prophet in the Quran because the Bani Israel, they go off on every Prophet. They don't leave a single Prophet, even their own Prophet. I cannot imagine how people, Musa Islam, how people can see any connection between the Jewish material they have related and the words of Allah. They taught no one until they had told them we are merely a trial and a temptation, so do not make kufr. The extraordinary, extraordinary thing is that Ibn, Imam Ibn Jarir al-Tabari talked about these things in his commentary and apparently had no hesitation in doing so. Okay, To summarize, the reader must be on guard against this Jewish material wherever it is used regarding the prophets and angels, rather in the books of tafsir, hadith, and admonitions, and other kinds of literature. All right. Uh, most people of you are listening in the evening and post, so we'll end here. 
Jazakumullah khairan subhanakallahumma wa bihamdik Nashadu an la ilaha illa anta nastaghfiruk wa natubu ilayk Wal asr inna al-insana lafi khusr Illa al-lazina amanu wa aminu al-salihat Wa tawasubu al-haqqi wa tawasubu al-sabri Wassalamu alaykum wa rahmatullah